Welcome back to another episode of Aboutcast. Uh, it is your main man holding it down while Julian is away, Jordan. And before we start this episode, I just wanted to say um, I really hope that everyone's doing well during this time and all your loved ones are in good health, whether that be financially, mentally, physically, of course, and um, keep fighting a good fight. And without further ado, well, I guess one more thing. Uh, You know, I really appreciate doing this, Uh, you know, doing this for over two years now. It feels like kind of a part of me. um, And, you know, it's, it's feels really natural to, you know, record and talk to you guys. And of course, sometimes maybe you guys feel like I'm talking at you. But it's it's definitely a dialogue, and I really appreciate the input, questions, uh, everything, every interaction. Really appreciate it. So, uh, thank you for listening to this. Um, I definitely really appreciate it for sure. So, getting into this or today's podcast, as you know, if you listened to the last podcast two weeks ago, we're going to be talking about a interesting pair of people in history that have no connection that I've ever seen before in writing. So um, once again, if you've listened to that, you're going to hear this again. Um, This might be somewhat of a reach, but I found it extraordinarily intriguing to talk about these two really prolific figures in their own rights. Um, And I'll keep this short, being that I've already said this stuff, but the two people I'm talking about are Blaise Pascal the French mathematician in the 1600s. And then I'm also talking about Pistol, or Pete Press Maravich, or Pistol Pete Maravich, who was a an NBA Hall of Fame basketball player and was prolific in his own sense um, in sports. So I did cover Pistol Pete in the last episode, so this will be more about Blaise Pascal, but definitely anticipate having the interplay of kind of overlapping life experiences in between there and specifically the reason that I started this series was to talk about a really peculiar starting of their childhood being that they were both precocious but at the same time they had this specific experience where they were held back from the thing that they were most prolific at to start their life and then once that train got rolling um, there was no stopping them. So let's get into it. So Blaise Pascal was, of course, the French mathematician, and he was born in France in 1623, June 19th. And um, throughout his life, he was 39 when he passed away. Um, But the the thing that I think is, um, you know, important to take away, he grew up with um, a few sisters and um, his mom died at the age of three, so quite young. And what that gave is a peculiar uh, or a precarious situation with his father, where his father was quite intelligent, um, not, let's say, among the aristocracy of the time in France, but very well educated and respected as a, um, a, a tax, kind of a tax collector of, of sorts or not a tax collector, but uh, dealt with tax and was a judge of uh, tax court uh, specifically. And the the experience that Blaise Pascal had 
that I think was one of the ones that shaped him was uh, being after his mother or his mother died, the father, which um, I've been avoiding saying because, you know, I'm definitely going to butcher this, but uh, I think his name is Itini Pascal. He essentially decided to homeschool his son. And um, that's where I think all of this stuff happened. So the the main thing that they focused on just to start with, and Blaze was, you know, naturally like quite, quite an intelligent uh, young child. And I think that was picked up on by his father. And that's why he decided to homeschool him so that he can get a proper education where uh, they could go as fast as uh, Pascal or Blaze wanted to. And so the first thing that they started focusing on was language. And that includes like the Latin language. Um, and so Pascal became like quite educated in um, uh, a polyglot in a really, really short amount of time. But the thing that was the, the really interesting piece that kind of links them together and what I originally found was that Blaise Pascal was stopped from learning math and actually forbade from learning math when he was growing up as a kid. And the first thing was, like I said, was the actual language. So once Blaise Pascal kind of got that forbidden, forbidden fruit of math, um, the kid never stopped. So, you know, at a very, very young age, as you guys could imagine, uh, Blaise Pascal was doing, you know, extraordinary things with mathematics as far as when, when he was quite young and uh, when he was about 13 in 1640, he wrote an essay um, on the conic sections or a total essay about kind of synthetic projective geometry. And he also created a calculator, being that his dad was a tax judge. He essentially created one of the first digital calculators uh, ever produced, and it operated by counting integers, and that was in 1644. So when he was 17, um, he did something that nobody else could do uh, to help his dad out with the work. And once again, Pascal or Blaise Pascal was extraordinarily prolific and very dominant in the ranks of his field and he he touched a lot of things um he grew up religious and they were strictly roman catholic when growing up so roman catholic principles uh so theology he also was uh, amazing in philosophy which we'll touch on some of his axioms or uh not uh, axioms but you know the popular things of his works and outputs so we'll talk about the pascal's wager which i'm sure you've heard of if you're stopping on this podcast um, but if not, we'll definitely explain it and uh, you'll be polished up on that one. And then obviously with mathematics and just science in general. Um, and so these fields he touched, I think that they had, you know, different inner workings and different flows throughout his lifetime. And I think that also mirrors uh, Pete's as well, Pistol Pete. And um, that definitely comes into play more so when we're talking about kind of uh, their choices in theology and um, religious prescription that we'll, we'll go through in a little bit later because that's what happens later in Pascal's life from my research. And so essentially around, um, I guess maybe not too much later, but when Pascal was a young man, uh, I think about 23, his 
dad fell ill and um this is one of the you know i think normally in situations people will kind of throughout hard times lean on faith even if they weren't uh extraordinarily devout beforehand um but i th- and i think this is a classic example of that happening so when his dad fell ill pascal definitely uh leaned more towards faith and uh and interestingly he ran into a few disciples of a religion called or a sect in christianity called jansenism and essentially jansenism um which i think is like really interesting thinking of what blaze did later with uh, pascal's wager is essentially kind of um it it's described as a heresy in uh like catholic catholic religion and the reason why is because the one of the main things that it goes against was free will and so it essentially says um the guy that kind of thought of it uh, jansen um he had this uh he made this writing or um uh published a thing called the augustinacism and essentially what it does is it talks about how um it downplays free will and almost kind of totally casts it away in the actual uh, catholic faith so you don't have the you know even if you acted great you still wouldn't be uh like brought to heaven um and it essentially just put all the faith on predeterminism and the divine grace and so essentially um what that was um is kind of a more of a kookier version i think at the t- of the time uh, it was like you know almost like a, it didn't exist very long um or wasn't popular very long um during the time and it was kind of one thing that was happening locally between like france and a few other places um in europe but essentially that's kind of what pascal took to and um you know at the time i think uh blaze was still battling between kind of the aesthetic life that um you know jansenism kind of prescribed to and the worldly life and when i say worldly life i am kind of uh, alluding to kind of like producing and publishing scientific journals and things of that nature which um pascal obviously had a great passion for and so he kind of drifted back and forth here and there but um during that time of drifting back and forth um i think uh actually let me let me uh go take a step back i think one of the most interesting things about blaise pascal is his um extraordinary pragmatism and uh, especially when it comes to things that might not necessarily be the most pragmatic especially when it comes to faith um you know and i think we'll we can talk about that a little bit further on when he gets quite uh, quite a bit more religious but um that's that's one thing that i found really interesting about him um he was very grounded and was um i i felt like he he was like you know being the father of probability or um you know a really really extraordinary player in the probability and the rules and things of um that we use today he i think he kind of had that mind and had that type of mechanism mechanistic thinking that um kind of provided him to be quite a pragmatist um in all places in life um 
and so going on, essentially, uh, during that time, Pascal also created uh, essentially the uh, a unit of pressure called Pascals, which everyone's, um, or not everyone, sorry, um, but people are aware of, and it essentially um, kind of is a playoff of the barometer, and it uses hydraulic presses to measure pressure of an area. And so, and it's still popularly used today. And essentially, you know, Pascal is going through his life creating, um, you know, producing and publishing pieces of scientific journals and whatnot. And then um, here's, here's where we interplay again with uh, Pistol Pete. Later in his life, um, and later as in later in his life uh, compared to uh, when he died, in 1654, later, late in that year, in November, uh, coming on to December, he became to um, get quite religious, and um, more so than before, and he wanted to start a new life, and throughout my research, and maybe this is kind of selective hearing, you might say, but through understanding what that kind of, that turning of the page was for Pascal, um, kind of battling between being more devout and kind of dabbling in the scientific world still, was a, um, from what I've heard from listening to documentaries and whatnot, was actually a, Pascal got spoke to. Pascal got spoke to, and this is actually the same thing that Pistol Pete professed or uh, said happened to him that made him become like quite devout and before Pistol Pete was not religious, um, you know, not, not even active. I don't think active is the good word for Pistol Pete, but it's quite interesting that both later in their life, um, they had the same experience or similar experience, similar to what they had in the beginning of their life with essentially, um, you know, the kind of the, um, Machiavellian thing of holding them back from what they love now they're having this religious, like extraordinarily powerful religious thing that happened in the same type of way where they heard this kind of divine voice that came out of nowhere that compelled them to be much more devout. But anyway, so further on to Blaze, uh, essentially, you know, soon after that, uh, January, so about a month and a couple of days afterwards, he entered Point Royale which is Port Royal, which is the um, kind of one of the headquarters of Jansenism and kind of fully went uh, and committed himself and didn't never publish another um, publish another scientific piece under his name after that. But he did work on two um, you know, main pieces of his life's work after that, which is the uh, Les Provinciales, and then also the Pensies. Um, and these pieces, Pensies, uh, he did not finish by the time that he was, um, he died before it was happened, uh, happened to be totally completed. Um, but Les Provinciales was, and these are where I think Pascal gets into more of his, um, you know, theol theologian pragmatist kind of flow um and it's quite interesting to see kind of the it's almost like those guys that uh, i see blaise pascal as one of those dudes who are a renaissance man where they kind of can do it all whether it be like you know in 
in a pop culturally prevalent way, like kind of Donald Glover, where he's Childish Gambino, a rapper. He's also, you know, been an actor. He's also produced movies. Um, he's done comedy, things of that nature where, you know, you see a guy and they're just hands are in everything and you can't, um, you know, you can't put a finger on what they exactly do because of the, they can do so much and it would almost be a disservice to them. But essentially around this time um, of his life, he also, you know, did Pascal's wager. So all of you holding your breath for that, uh, you can uh, take a big sigh of relief because we'll talk about that a lot more. And essentially, I think before, before I tell you about this, sorry, um, I just really want to bring up the point once more where even though you know, religion and theology. Um, it was extraordinarily large and uh, momentous at the time. It also, and you know, was studied and was a very firm standing on. It still took a bit of faith, I believe, to fully commit to to religion and you know be as devout as people were expected to be, or even Pascal was. But th- at the same time, I don't think everybody kind of looked at it with. Um, very non-tinted glasses like eyes and so the this is where I think Pascal's wager fits perfectly into Jainism or Jansenism apologize essentially Pascal's wager is stated as such so um, if even if there is not a god it is wise to believe in one and so the reason is because um, if you cannot prove there is a god or if there isn't one uh, essentially, you should, um, you know, be religious because uh, throughout your lifetime, there's a finite, you know, a finite amount of life that you can live. But if you live it devoutly, then you can get into heaven and live forever. And so you have this finite thing that you have to compromise on, in a sense, to get this forever thing, this, uh, you know, infinity. And so, of course, we're talking about Blaise Pascal here, the the Mac Daddy of probability. And so you can think of it as a probability. And um, anything that you multiply with uh, any non-zero number that you multiply with, or non-negative, I guess, with infinity, you get infinity still. So essentially what it is, is you have this finite thing on the left, which is a life of devotion, and you get this you know, infinite thing on the right. And, you know, below, you can look at it as if you weren't devout and just lived however you wanted to live, finite, but then you also live in hell. Or, you know, at the very least, you don't get into heaven. So you have this finite benefit, this infinite downside, you can say. And essentially, this is why, um, this is where Pascal's wager sits. So you um, there is there is a big flaw in Pascal's wager. Um, for all of those, for all of you who know this, and for those who are um, hopping on the train uh, later, and the big finite thing that we're dealing with is the fact that um, there's multiple religions. So essentially, what you get is then you have to assume that you're going to be a part of the right religion. And what then you have is if you look at it another way, you have this um, one infinity to many infinities type of thing. So 
you know, what's to say you should be a Jansenism, a devout Jansenism person, or you should be Hindu, or you should be uh, a weird sect of Buddhism or something, you know, essentially, this is where it breaks down. So when you introduce multiple religions, which of course, the world has many religions, is where you this thing falls apart um, at its hinges. And I think it's quite interesting that um, Pascal also, I think it's it's a little bit more, uh, you know, it's mentioned as an afterthought, but I think it's still really interesting that there is a slight omission of, you know, living a devout life isn't as as good as living a regular life. So here's where you kind of get the, I think the I'm not sure if it's the pragmatism again leaking in and for all of you guys doing the drinking game on how many times I could say that um, there, there's another one, but uh, there's this underlying understanding that um, to be extraordinarily devout, you need to give up your life in some senses, whether it be, you know, like just chilling out on your Sunday mornings or, you know, having um, premarital sex or, um, you know, recreation over procreation all of those things um are understood to be a thing that people give up on when they actually start being extraordinarily devout um which i think is interesting as well um so those those are the tenets of the problem of pascal's the lock of pascal's wager the key of pascal's wager as well just in case somebody tries to pull a slick one on you and um gives you that wager themselves you can pimp slap them with logic and essentially uh, another thing that i find kind of interesting is that with jansenism pascal must have been the ultimate um well he's the ultimate pragmatist and kind of in, in the way you can think of it as you know life is tough pascal knew this um he had struggles in his life uh, you know his mother died at a young age he fell ill to overworking at one point in his life um but he always knew that it's better to rise to the occasion than it is to kind of submit. And, you know, you always have the opportunity to become better. And you want to choose things that, even though life is difficult, kind of in a Nietzscheism way, um, take, take the path that, uh, you know, gives life more meaning and makes you a better person because of it. And, uh, you know, I find Blaise Pascal, uh, being not religious myself, uh, very understandable, which is kind of unique because I feel like there's sometimes it's not as easy um, to I maybe I'm not having a dialogue with Blaze, but um, kind of reading and understanding his life. I think that he he is really understanding. You know, it's not just like zealot uh, fervor in a sense. Um, he's still quite a logical and practical guy, and I. I find his understanding of religion something that coincides with myself um, being that, you know, things are utilities, ideas are utilities and things uh, and such. And, you know, if you treat them as that and you don't let the utility own you in a sense, and that's when, you know, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, but um, when, you know, people don't have ideas, ideas have people, which I think is a common one in religion. Uh, especially with so much emotion and so many things tied to it. Um, you know, I, I don't see Pascal really going that route. And I think he's much more logical and reasonable about it. But essentially, uh, where we're at right now is we've kind of wrapped up the two 
existences of these two souls who were, you know, if I'm wanting to paint it poetically, inexorably bound by the circumstances of nurture, not nature. And it created a nature of something that was prolific and, you know, lasting throughout years and decades and centuries of accomplishment and goals and forward thinking and really propelled them to be uh, ahead of their time in a lot of senses. Uh, and, you know, maybe, maybe that also propelled them to have premature deaths at 40 and 39. And granted, Pascal's, uh, you know, the health in the 1600s weren't as good as uh, the health in the, you know, in 19, the 1900 or nothing. Yeah, the 1900s. Um, but it, it seems so interesting to find these overlaps of you have prolific people in different arts, similar childhood experiences, similar or quite similar religious experiences, and similar times of death, even within the years of their age. And so I, you know, I find, I find podcast things like this quite interesting, and uh, I really look forward to them. Um, what you can expect further on is if you were loving that uh, Fred Hampton and Jim Jones joints, where we kind of do a leader or character breakdown, pros and cons of strengths and weaknesses. Um, you can expect that in the coming times. Once again, would love to hear your input and uh, understanding of these things, and also any ideas of specific leaders. Or, you know, I think that it would be cool to also kind of start including guests again. Uh, for those OGs, uh, you can remember the Jeb Corliss um, podcast that we did, and we did a couple others with guests, um, fashion designers, influencers, uh, motivational speakers, things of that nature, uh, that we had really good um, numbers. So thank you guys for those. And so, you know, considering doing those again as well. Um, but anyway, thank you again so much for coming along on this journey with us. And, you know, I appreciate all the support, whether it be silent, whether it be loud. Um, you know, you're definitely on this journey with us. And I guess I'll see you next time. Peace.